This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin. I'm not joined by Mawera Karatai today. Get well, Mawera, but I am joined by Bill Tomlinson in Irvine, California, and he's with Miles and Addie. Kia ora. Hello. Hi there. Hello. <laughs> How is it going in the run-up to the holidays? Uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, things, um, you know, things are going going okay. We're, um, we, we spoke with you, I guess, you know, two and a half years ago, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and... Uh, um, things are not quite completely back to normal, but sort of back to normal, even though it does seem like there are things that the pandemic is ramping up a little bit with a combination of uh, uh, coronavirus and RSV and flu and colds. Uh, one of my friends had a nice Facebook post today, which was like a, a table of illnesses and symptoms. So you could sort of triangulate which of the various different forms of ick you have right now. So um but on the whole, things are things are going fine. The kids are the kids are in school and have friends, and um, things are uh, we're we're gearing up to go visit family for for the holidays. So uh, fingers crossed. So when we first spoke to you right at the start of the pandemic, I think you're our show number three or four. Um, we were asking, and since then we've been asking people how their bubble life was, um, and now now that that has now turned into history. So how's your bubble life been, or how was your bubble life? Hmm. So, kids, what do you what do you remember from the pandemic? Dad, dad, school. Okay, so yeah, and I also remember those floaty things that we had a beach ball that we balanced on when our house. That wasn't started. the pandemic, really. It was. Oh, okay. So, so okay, so so I'll un- like in the middle of knock pandemic. Okay, I'll I'll unpack these two stories. So, <laughs> in the very early days of the pandemic, right about when we talked to you, um, I had a desire to enforce order on a disordered world. And I enacted that by means of starting a thing called dad school. Since the kids weren't able to go to school, we, I, I enlisted people from our life to come and teach us things about stuff. So we had my uncle teach us about the stock market. We had my sister teach us about animation. And our doctor friend taught us the proper way to wash our hands. And, you know, we had, a, and also how to make bread. Yeah. Um, and so Miles's memory of early pandemic is, is dad school of sort of these hour long classes with, um, you know, on, we were just sort of sorting out how to use zoom in a way that we're all now zoom, zoom masters. Um, Addie's main recollection was that we, um, uh, I guess about two or three months ago, our house flooded. And so that has, that has been the most salient event in our life recently. Um, and, and it has caused me to have to become more comfortable with people coming in and out of the house with and without masks at all hours because um, our house was all flooded. And um, so the thing that stood out for Addie is we had some industrial fans um, that were drying out our house. 
And with an industrial fan aimed directly at the sky and a beach ball, you can do a very nice enactment of the Bernoulli effect. And so the kids invented a new game. What was it? Was it called Bernoulli ball? Where we had two of these fans and the goal was to hit the, the ball would be balancing on one Bernoulli column and you had to whack it just the right amount to get it to the other Bernoulli column without falling on the ground. So um, those are our, those are the kids two pandemic stories. Yeah. Now we've got four songs to get through. Some of them are quite short. So we're going to go for your first one. Let's go for Addie's one, the All Blacks version of Two Teramai. Why this one? So this is the one. Okay. If, if you, if you sing the first bit, Addie, Addie, do you want to want to, Let's hear it. Two teramai na iwi. Say it. Say it. <laughs> Come on, say it. Away. <laughs> so the main thing I think that Addie remembers from New Zealand, because she was only she was two to three in the year we lived there, um, is the call and response and 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 yelling oa in response to two teramai na iwi. Um, and so that that has really stood out for her. And it's um, something that we periodically come back to. I mean, uh, you know, my my ability to pronounce the, the first bit is not stellar, um, but she generally gets the spirit of it and then, then yells, oh, way back then. So Addie wants to say hello to all the people in the world who are listening to this. All right, there we go. Kira, Addie. It's said that you can find a New Zealander in a crowd anywhere in the world by by yelling out the first the first <laughs> bit of that song and seeing if you get the OA back. <laughs> and it was particularly spectacular. I don't know if you've seen it. You probably find it on YouTube of the after the woman won the Rugby World Cup. They were doing an mm. interview with Ruby Tui. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Um, and and she started. She grabbed the microphone and belted it out, and the whole and then the whole crowd sang it. It was just incredible. Awesome. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> Definitely worth a look for. So, at the yeah. time you were teaching online, did that carry on? And so I have, I think I've taught one class, like one actual lecture in person since two thousand and twenty. Um, I've taught a big on, online class. 300 undergrads that's been online since 2012 so that has continued on and that's my main class and then i teach a graduate seminar that um was fully online once or twice and um and that through sort of consensus with the students who were there we we had it online the the most recent time and so um almost all of my teaching is is online and continues to be and did the kids school go back uh yeah most yeah yeah, there's 
a lot of people don't wear masks anymore. A few do, but like it's all back in person. I think there's some people still stay online, but it's like the vast minority. So, well, not vast minority, but yeah. What's the yes? The, but so um, Small. what what is it? Maybe like one in five wears masks, or one in yeah, ten, or some, what? One in one in like seven. Or okay. <clears throat> And Addie, is that about the same for you? Like, how many how many students in your class wear masks? Most of them don't. Most of them don't. But are there like four or five who do? I mean, Lana mostly don't doesn't, but sometimes she does, and a lot of them don't wear masks. Someone else in my class makes masks. I mean, wears masks, and I'm not sure if I should say that or not. No, that just you don't need to say that. Just I. And there are a couple more that I remember. Okay, so a few people in Addie's class of 30 wear masks. Um, both our kids. 29. The 20, 29. Okay. Um, so our kids are both still masked. And my experience of it is that more people are masked, masked in the – we live in a uh, faculty housing community. And I think more people are masked in our community than in our county um, in, You know, It feels to me like it's sort of one in four around here. Whereas it feels like it's like one in 20 at the grocery store. And so how long were you off school? Kids, do you remember? Uh, Maybe like a year. I was off for the entire kindergarten and that was all done. Yeah. I was off for half of fourth grade and then I did a hybrid approach for fifth grade where I went to school some days, but then went went online other days. And then halfway through the year, I switched to fully online. Yeah. So I guess it was something like a year and a half that there was a, significant online presence um if either complete or partial online could you remember what to do when you went back to class could you remember like the 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 protocols of being there and present i mean like so so i'll let miles answer this and then i'll sort of scared at the at the beginning of the year in first grade you were scared at the beginning of the year yeah Yeah, because i think i think with Addie, since kindergarten was online like she sort of had kind of never had school in person. Only um, oh, I guess, and should be, should had um, institutional, you know, um, childcare should been in, in a group, group care setting, um, but never sort of real school. And Miles, yeah. how was it for you when you went back? It was easier because they, the um, junctions usually happened at a grade level um, or year level in New Zealand. And uh, that made it easier because you're adjusting to a whole new environment in that greater year. So mm. that made the transition. Yeah. Okay. So you had to adapt to, adapt to more things instead of like. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you learned as much at home as you have done at school or are you, is it good that you're back at school? At home, we probably learned less. We're, like we're, we're, one of the classes in that school were like, Going, going outside and doing something for an hour. <laughs> that was during summer break. That was during. Uh, yeah. I go outside and do something for an hour. Fair enough. <laughs> you're, no, you're right. I mean, there was dad. School. Right. I mean, there was dad school, but then sometimes it would be like, okay, here's a scavenger hunt in the yard. Go. Yeah. When I and when I had a stomachache while doing basketball, didn't do that. But that was that was during summer break, like yeah, this yeah. summer. I, I, I right. Sometimes remember. in summer break, people don't even have anything. Oh, there was yeah. There was also a game that you wanted me to play, where like there was a tiny person and they were collecting fruits and vegetables that were falling out of the sky. Tiny person collecting fruits and vegetables that were falling out of the sky. Huh? Yeah. I remember that game. That's the game where you have to sit really quietly for an hour. 
<laughs> oh, yes. That one. So this might actually, it may have been a piece of code that Don Patterson wrote. And we may have been sort of like beta testing some random thing for Don's class. Um, I'm not sure. You know, you never can quite tell where where software systems come from when my kids are subjected to them. Um, they it could be something that like a billion other kids are doing too, or it could be something that like I coded up one night or one of my friends did. So, so yeah. Do, so you, th- do you think you've learned anything because of the pandemic? Um, I don't know. I think it was. I don't really think we learned much. It was just a placeholder until we got back. It wasn't like online for long enough to have like a really good system set up so that we learned as much as we would in actual school it was just like kind of a band-aid until the pandemic was over do you think you're more aware of viruses and pandemics than you would have been yeah definitely because i didn't go to school like it was a month ago because i had like a a little sickness and my parent and my parents remarked that they would have sent me to school if it wasn't covid time (laughs) right three you know three years ago you're like, okay, well, you're sick all, you know, everybody's kind of sick. And so sometimes you go to school when you're a little bit sick. And in a way that now we, we only send the kids to school when we would be comfortable if other parents sent their kids to school in the same situation, which is like almost, you know, you have to be 100% healthy. Otherwise it feels weird to send them to school. But um, yeah, I think the, um, you know, different, it, it got better the second year, the first, the first three or four months were really, I mean, everybody was just sorting out how to do it at all. And with Addie, we really pretty much checked out. The The teacher was like, here's some homework you can do. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that. And and the teacher said, okay. Um, but the uh, the following year, it was, there was at least an attempt to have something structurally like school for, for a period of the year. But um, one thing that was challenging is that the, um, the daycare that has been a huge part of both kids' lives, UCI's um, UCI has a daycare program. That's one of the, the, the real benefits of, of working here. And they, I think they went down to quarter occupancy, which, um, meant that like, there just wasn't the availability of daycare that we had, you know, come to come to rely on. And it was a huge part of our, how we were structuring our, our experience. And so, um, so we ended up hiring a teacher for, I guess, six hours a day, uh, for Addie and a pair of twins, um, who were a year younger than Addie. And so she came to our house and the twins came to our house. What? They're, oh, they're in second grade? Yeah. We oh, were, okay. We're all in oh, you were all in kindergarten. Okay. So they were a little bit younger, they but were, they were five. They were five when you were six, but they were the same. I gotcha. So, um, but so Addie and the twins and, um, and Hannah did a fantastic job. I think that really made the whole process be able to work. Um, you know, we had, I feel like there are three different categories of how people weathered the pandemic. There were people who didn't have kids who were typically very productive because they were like, look at all this free time I have. There were people who had kids and had a good setup like we did who took a significant hit on their productivity, but like were still able to basically live. And there were people who did not, for whatever reason, end up with a good setup with their kids, in which case they like didn't do anything except for childcare for a year. Um, And so, um, you know, so I think it had really differential impacts based on based on what your life circumstance was and and what systems you put in place to cope with it. Let's squeeze in the second of your music choices. Let's have Peter Bjorn and John with Young Folks. Why this one? This is the one that goes with whistling. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So this is one that Air New Zealand was very fond of playing. I don't remember in exactly what context, whether it was over the, like the here's what to do if we, you know, nosedive into the sea or whether it was like here's fill out your passport forms or what it was. But we have a very embodied sense of being on airplanes, getting to and from New Zealand with that, that song going. And so that was one of Rebecca's picks for, uh, for, for the most salient songs in our, in our New Zealand history.
also, um, Addie wanted to also give a give an explicit, um, say an explicit hello to Hannah. Um, do you want to want to say something out loud? Uh, can you do it? Okay. So, um, just we haven't seen Hannah in a while, and it just you know, I think Addie has very fond memories of her, and, and wanted to uh, wanted to say a specific hello to her, since she knows people all over the world are listening. That maybe Hannah is listening, and, and thought she'd like to have hello. Have a hello, said to her. Hello, Hannah. Talking about creating memories, you're, you're off on a big road trip? We are in a couple of, um, in a few, so Rebecca, my wife's mother, gets here in two days, and then two or three days after that, we head up to Santa Cruz um, to visit my parents. So um, I think there'll be 14 of us, all told. There'll be the four of us, plus Rebecca's mom, plus my parents, plus my sister, her husband, um, her daughter, uh, a cousin, the cousin's wife and a cousin's wife's sister. And so, um, so yeah, we'll have 14 people in a three bedroom house. And I was going to say, um, I don't think there's room in that house. I've been to that house. I don't think there's room for 14 people in that house. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think there's, I think there are one or two hotel rooms that have been reserved and they have a, a van that sleeps too. And, um, you know, for, for years and years, I was the youngest and therefore I always got to sleep in the laundry room. Yeah, I was. I'm going to sleep in the laundry <laughs> so, now, given that I'm not, given that I'm young, a man, and not married. Yes, and well, there you get the laundry Aside from Uncle Bill, but you he's, get the like, laundry he's like, room. am I going to be in the laundry No. I don't, you'll probably be on the floor. I get the laundry room. You'll be, have a you'll be pulled up into the ceiling with the, is it a dolphin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Is it a dolphin right. in the roof? <laughs> we'll suspend you from the ceiling. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's right. You're familiar with that house. No. Um. So uh, yeah, I'm not sure how who's going to sleep where exactly, but but uh, we'll all be all be all be in together. Yeah, there's lots of snow across the the states. Is, I don't suppose it's gotten over to where you are. Well, amazingly, there, because yeah. it has not like Southern California doesn't have much snow. Like I don't know, I have a recollection of it ever having snowed in the 20 something years I've lived here, except in the mountains. I mean, you know, yes, in the mountains, you know, they're skiing an hour and a half from here. But just the other day, there was a, a storm like the heavens had opened in the middle of the night. And um, yeah, the thunder was like, well, both mom and I heard it in the middle of the night. And yeah. it was like shaking the house. It was really, really loud. I slept right through it. But I, but the kid, Miles and, and Rebecca say it was super loud. Yeah, it was loud enough yeah, and long too. enough that you I thought it. the neighbors no, were like moving their trash cans around at like <laughs> two in the morning. But so then the next morning, I forget why I was out in the world. Oh, I think I'm the dog for a walk. Yeah. And there was a, a little patch of snow in one spot or actually it wasn't actually snow. It was, it was hail, but there was accumulation of hail, um, you know, enough that we were able to throw a snowball monster one at me and I threw it at him. And that like ex- extinguished the full supply of snow that had accumulated. <laughs> I know, I know, but you were off at school. Sorry, Muffin. So, um, but you can throw a snowball next time we just. So, um, I want to throw a snowball here. I know. Oh, well, I'll, I'll let you know next time. There's some. There's a whole bunch of hail. So, <laughs> um, but yes, I mean the the fact that there were like two whole snowballs was a real like something to write home about in in Southern California. Yeah. Bubble sprite of the forest of Orokinui, Dinan's favorite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. I hope you all have this day. Beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, 
whatever's happening on this journey that we're all on is proving to be very reward, very sustained and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making better. Thank you. Now I know that for us all the last nearly three years have been very tough and we've had so much to navigate. So many new and challenging circumstances have arisen for us all and we have been unified by this global experience and we have been unified by that sense of shock and discomfort and destabilization. All of us have experienced that in different ways and I really feel now that for all of us we are in a state of recovery and it's so important that we give ourselves and each other the time, the space and the love and support that we need and that we deserve and that we can innately provide. I've been so grateful for what I've been given as I journey through my long COVID recovery process and being part of the show of course is a huge pleasure and privilege so a huge thank you to all of you for having me and Sam and the whole Green Bubbles team for making the show possible. It's a real marvel hearing from people all around the world their stories are so inspiring there's always something new there's always something different there's always something unique and beautiful that is being shared it's wonderful to be together be able to experience this I've had a great day. I'm feeling so grateful. I had my wonderful eco-warriors from Port Chalmers Kindergarten come to visit me and we ventured forth and collected many beautiful flowers and twigs and leaves and ferns and all sorts of things that we found on the ground. And particularly at this time of year, of course, the, the beautiful native trees, particularly Kotoku to the future. And Kotoku means I let go. It's letting go of her beautiful flowers once they're pollinated. They go from green and purple to a very rich pink and purple fuchsia. And once they've been pollinated, they drop to the ground and a berry starts to form where the flower was. And over the next few weeks, that berry will ripen and we can eat them. The beautiful konini berries are very yummy. So we collected all these treasures and then we made the mini Christmas trees, which is very exciting. And I had some beautiful, amazing young women from Syria come and help me today. And they are studying at the University of Otago. And as part of their paper, they needed to give back to Papatunuku and they chose Orokanui as a space to give back to Papatunuku. So I was very grateful. So they helped me organise everything and do some cleaning and tidying. And then they worked with the beautiful Tamarehi and myself. So it was a really special day of all these different lives coming together from really far-flung places, all different ages, different life experiences coming together and exploring, creating. Very, very, very nourishing for me. And then I had a bit of a race against time, but I managed to make it to my bar class and to the saltwater pool. And of course, it reminded me that when we can have those opportunities to really make the most every single minute that we have, how satisfying that is. And I managed to do my 40 lengths in 20 minutes, so I felt very, very pleased. And I had to hop out of the pool before it closed. But it's very satisfying to work with time in that way and have the energy to do so. So I really hope for you, you're having these opportunities to make the most and feeling really great about it. And I look forward to talking to you. Thanks so much. Kakite.
You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Bill and Miles and Addie in Southern California. Talking about the Heavens Opened, you had a Heavens Opening inside your house this year. We did. The, um, the hot water supply line to one of our upstairs sinks burst like a bubble for no obvious reason. And uh, so we, um, luckily, Rebecca was home and, and heard it because it started to rain through the ceiling of our downstairs and uh, was able to, you know, a quick, quick thinking, quick acting. She was able to get it turned off. Um, so it, it only, you know, it only did enormous amounts of damage as opposed to making the whole house fall down or something. Um, you know, we're still three months later sorting out. We need to have new floors put in upstairs and, and having drywall and painting and stuff. So, um, but yes, it's been a, uh, we, but we, I think the big, the big nice thing from that is we got to stay in a hotel for five days. Um, and they had fruit loops at the buffet. And so, so that was a real, uh, um, upside. A, a real yeah. upside. Yeah, the food was really good. Yeah. So. Do you remember traveling, Bill? Do you remember traveling for conferences? You know, it was a thing I, we, it was a thing we used to do. You know, it was a thing we used to do. Interestingly, my traveling stopped not completely, but significantly before the pandemic. Um, that when we when we had little kids. I traveled for a little bit, you know, I maybe t- took five or six trips when Miles was young. I remember you leaving. Yeah, you because I'd always bring you stuff to Animal Home. Oh, yeah. But I really haven't traveled very much since Addie's been alive. Um, you know, I've shifted over to trying to write journal papers instead of conference papers because you don't have to physically go there. Um, you know, being a sustainability researcher, having a huge carbon footprint from airline travel was never, was never sort of a great look in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> um, and so... The pandemic is really actually, um, you know, not that there's a silver lining of the awful world, you know, world transformations that came from the pandemic, but at least a lot of conferences now have a have a virtual option. And that um, that allows me to engage with that part of scholarship a little bit more. Um, But, yeah, we went on our first airplane trip. We, you know, we didn't travel anywhere for two years and we've only had one significant airplane trip. Um, or one, one, one set of travel at the beginning of the summer, uh, since 2020. Why do you think it took a pandemic to change that? Because we've known for a long time that we shouldn't be traveling as much as we were. Because, um, (sighs) it like forced immediate change. Like if it was like, it was like the thing that pushed it over the edge. Like everyone, everyone knows that. And then there's just this one like event mm-hmm. that causes that to be a necessity. And it was just like a domino effect. And that helped it also. Happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also um, most people don't really care about other species to speak of and don't really care about the distant future to speak of. And yet like, you might die of this disease has a little bit more traction in people's everyday lives. Um, or, or even, you know, you know, you might endanger your relatives or whatever, even if, even, you know, there certainly have been big chunks of people who are not, um, who are like, I I don't know, I'm invulnerable and I, I probably won't die of it and therefore it doesn't matter. Um, but I do think the, the immediate health effects are much more salient than 
short-term impacts on people who are not you, on species that are not you, or long-term impacts on you, um, those don't, they don't, it doesn't feel like they have the same traction. Um, whereas the immediacy, as Miles was saying, of sort of like, here is this moment where things have switched. Um, the pandemic did have that in terms of enacting behavioral change for people. So what do you think we can learn from the pandemic and how we've responded to it for things like climate change or social justice or biodiversity collapse, all those things that, that you and I like to write about? <clears throat> you know, it's hard. So I'm in a, in a group of sustainability scholars who meets every so often. And because it's an interdisciplinary group, there are lots of people who sort of rub shoulders with public health. And there was a significant feeling from several of them that the pandemic had really set back sustainability a long way because money was now going to pandemics as opposed to sustainability. And the connection between pandemics and sustainability, even though it's pretty apparent to people who, who sort of study it, is less apparent to the general public. Um, and, and therefore, it's sort of the, the funding streams were redirected. Um, in terms of what we can learn from it, I mean, I guess, I guess that, um, you know, the immediacy is something that's really important. And somehow we need to have stories that connect, that, that make immediate problems out of diffuse, long-term, indirect um, ramifications that are, that are sort of more characteristic of, of sustainability. Um, you know, people, people are, are very good at not attending to the concerns of others. Um, and the pandemic showed that and our response to sustainability shows to, to climate change and such shows that, um, I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had a, a more positive, like, yay, here's, here's what we've learned as a society. Um, but at least here in the U.S., there there's a huge chunk of people who are just sort of like, oh, that's the pandemic isn't a thing or, um, you know, we're going to own the libs by catching COVID or something. <laughs> um, and and it's a little bit disconcerting that they're that we weren't able to mount a coherent civilizational response, even to an to a clear and present danger. Um, and that that gives me concern that we won't be able to mount a coherent response to a diffuse danger, even if it's potentially more extreme and has has more more substantial impacts across longer time horizons. Let's squeeze in. I think this is yours, Bill. Let's squeeze in the Matariki Macarena from Mrs. D. Why this one? So. Um, so this is one of the ones that I remember. Addie was taught this when she was in her preschool. And I remember going and seeing her and her classmates, or the, all of them, you know, all the, all the two or three-year-olds um, that, were, that were singing it. And it was just sort of an interesting combination between the, the Maori language and, oh, oh so Addie, Addie right now is showing you. I think she's done a portrait of you, Sam. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like... Um, yeah, they, I took a picture. Oh, cool, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it just reminds me of Addie on Claremont Terrace in Wellington, um, 
you know, do, doing little, doing a little dance and and singing the Madariki song with their classmates. When we started the Blowing Bubbles nearly three years ago, the we, the theme was positive conversation. And then after a while, we were convinced that it should be positive but not deluded because we weren't interested in just being <laughs> yeah. la-la positive. And yeah. then about a year ago, someone convinced us that we should have a dash of deluded, that we needed yeah. that we needed to have that spark of, yep. of, of unrealistic vision to, to keep us positive. Yep. What's your take on a positive mindset so so in terms of a positive mindset i feel like this is our generation's demonstration that that we can enact change in a way that in world war ii you know my my grandparents era it was like okay well we're gonna we're we're going to all pull together as a civilization to do this thing and some of you are going to war and lose your lives and some of you are going to work on the home front and um, you know, transform uh, industry and others of you are going to provide support in a variety of ways. And we are together going to collectively address this, this existential threat. And even though the reaction hasn't been uniform and, 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 you know, has some challenges, the fact that, yes, I mean, civil in, industrial civilization shut down its production to a certain degree for months, for a year it suggests that we might be able to get some traction with that level of change rather than, you know, one of, one of the real challenges of sustainability is the incrementalism doesn't seem like it's going to get the job done. And how are we going to get people on board for that scale of change? And previously, I think it would have been hard to even say we're going to have this scale of change because the people who remembered it were, were very old from World War II in a way that, now you can say something like, oh, this is going to be, we're going to need a response that's like twice the COVID response. And people have a frame of reference. They're like, oh, I get it. We're going to like turn everything upside down. And yet that might be achievable because we've done it. We've done something on that scale. Um, and it was rocky and we, we didn't have complete agreement on it. But, um, you know, with the right narrative, with the right leadership, with the right framing, maybe we can do something like that, um, that kind of response for, for sustainability and climate change. We have seen lots of changes over the last, I'm going to have to bring myself to say, nearly three years. What do you think has stuck? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I think an awareness of the interdependence of so many different things 
um, whether that is the interdependence of people's health that, you know, yes, people got the flu and it was from other people, but at least here in the U.S., there was not the same sense that, oh, we're, we're all in this together. Let's have some collective responsibility in a way that, that um, you know, when I traveled in, in, in some Asian countries, the idea that you'd wear a mask because you were sick was, was normal and a way that, that that wasn't normal in the U.S. And now it is. Now that like, oh, I'm sick, I'm going to wear a mask. Um, I think that's great. It demonstrates that there is awareness that you have impacts on other people and that it is, you know, in part your responsibility to prevent harm. Um, right now it is harm in terms of healthcare, but it does allow for an entry into the idea that you can prevent harm in other ways and that you have some responsibility for, um, responsibility for your actions. Um, you know, that is a, that's a, a lesson that like, you know, Miles has known for years and years now, but like just over the last few years, my, my mom always had a, she was a lawyer and she, she had a pretty clear, like when you turn seven, you're responsible for your own actions. Prior to that, if you pull a chair out from somebody, that's my fault. After you're seven, it's your own fault. You shouldn't do it. And, you know, not everybody sort of like carries that message with them into adulthood that like your actions have impact on others. And that's important. Um, and yet I think the pandemic has helped people learn that lesson, that our, imp our actions have impacts on each other. They have impacts on, on other parts of the world. And that's something that's worth attending to. Um, so... So I think that'll be a nice thing that we bring with us is, is an awareness of our interdependence and the connections between us, um, both at an individual scale and also at a global scale. The fact that things that happen here in this country affect other countries um, and, and vice versa. Before we run our questions to end the show with, we've got one more song. I think this is Miles's song. David yeah. Guetta, Titanium. What's the story here, Miles? Uh, okay, so... You know how a car, like you can connect your phone to a car and play a song. Somehow our car in New Zealand got stuck like to my mom's phone. And every time the car turned on, this this song would just automatically play <laughs> like every single time. So it's like ingrained in my head. And that's why I chose this one. So, yeah, yeah for, for months, like every road trip, however small would begin with titanium. Yeah, and it's like, it's one of my core memories of New Zealand. Like, <laughs> every day. Yeah, like three times a day. Three You're times like, oh, a day. we're going to school, titanium. Oh, we're picking you up from school, titanium. Oh, we're going to the food store, titanium. You shot it. Oh, 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 oh,
So I have some questions to end the show, and we've got three of you there. So I'm not sure how we're going to run this, but we'll see how it goes. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh. Almost being able to do a front flip. I can do it, but I don't land. Oh, nice. I did that out of part. And doing aerials, but not landing and almost breaking my legs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I got this. Yeah. <laughs> the blades of grass. So Addie started taking gymnastics classes, and so she's had some some real victories in that domain, which has been been exciting to see. In a way that, you know, for years during the pandemic, there was, you know, in-person classes weren't a thing. And it's a little tricky to do you know, gymnastics by Zoom. Yes. Miles, how about you? What's your big victory? Um, Probably learning how to play and, and improving at basketball. Because, like, I think a year ago, I didn't even know how to, like, dribble correctly. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing a lot better now, so I'm just really proud of that. Nice work. Well done. And I think, I, think I, I kept two kids alive through a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah. You know, all of the members of my immediate family came out the other end of the pandemic, which... I, I count as a big win. Big tick. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people go- doing good work. So what's your superpower? What's got you into the mansion? Superpower, kiddo. What? What's your superpower? Miles, what's your superpower? Uh, you go first. I go first. Uh, I, I need some reference on what to base this on. Like, um, what is, It's got to be a real thing. So if you said laser eyes, I would say I want a real thing. Yeah. So what's your real superpower? My superpower is enthusiasm. That like I'm ready to do a thing. Like okay, what's it going to be? We're having a pandemic. Great, let's have dads. Like we're coming out of a pandemic. Okay, let's figure out how to do it. I, I'm very strong. For very very and, smart and very strong and, for her. And double jointed. Oh, she's double jointed too. Yeah. And I can't in weird ways. And you can do it, man. I can. That's true. And only one percent of people can. I'm not sure. Well, okay, that might be true. Who's on so, YouTube anyway? Yeah. So I, 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 it's kind of gross, but Addie is very impressed by the fact that I can, I can cause my sublingual salivary glands to shoot saliva out of them, <laughs> <laughs> which is called gleeking. But at any rate, it's a, it's a. That, I don't know. That's my superpower, but it's that it's must be very... that must be something like what Spider Man has. <laughs> right, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, it's like a cross between Spider Man and a. Uh, uh, Pit Viper, except not as interesting. (laughs) All right, what's you, Miles? Uh, Probably my ability to earn, to endure suffering. And (laughs) um, my philosophy that, like, I won't remember the suffering that I'm feeling right now. Like, in an example of homework, like, I won't remember this in a few, like, the feeling of that in a few hours. So just, like, get it over with and be done with it. So, yeah. Okay, so this one might take some explaining. Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Yes. Um, okay. So an activist is somebody, I would say, who would like to enact change in the world, who sees there as being things that need to be different and trying to take active steps to. You're not sure? I I am not currently, but I'm preparing myself to make a difference in the world, like through my studies and stuff. Yeah. Right now, his, his job is, is learning the baseline and how the world works. And then uh, perhaps someday that will, will segue into activism. Well, the activist line is going down. Greta got it down to about 14, so. That's true. It's coming down to yeah. meet you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What gets you out of bed in the morning? The thought of being able to draw in the, in the afternoon or maybe possibly in the morning be able to do iPad. 
Oh, doing iPad or being able wow. to draw? Okay. And sometimes if it's a special day, like on Friday, I'm excited for school. Or something something that sometimes gets me up in the morning, and it happens a lot. I waking up at four in the morning for took it very literally <laughs> yeah how about um, you Ma? probably just like the joy in life or if i want to accomplish something that day the thought of being able to do that or work towards that goal and i think for me it's that sustainability issues like biodiversity loss and climate change are looming significantly in and uh given given the humans that are flanking me to my left and my right i would like to allow there to be a, a world that is um, viable for them in the long term. So what's the biggest challenge or opportunity that you're looking forward to in the next year or so? Okay. In, <laughs> in being scared of breaking my legs while doing that. Uh, or front flip. So you want to do an aerial or a front flip without breaking yes. your legs? I think I'm closer to a front flip. Right. I can do a front flip, but I don't land it. Also the same with aerials, but my arms touch the ground sometimes with uh. both of them, but I'm better at uh and how about you Miles? getting into like good classes next year so i can get into good classes the next year and and it just continues like that so i can eventually have a good life and make a difference in something as i said earlier and for me i think that i feel like i know what the problem is that i want to devote my life to and yet how to sort of operationalize any kind of meaningful change is the challenge that I'm faced with. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Hey, Addy, do you have any advice for our listeners? Uh, um, no. Try not to break your legs. Try not to break your legs. That's a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> that is good advice. Um, let if me you, think. I'll oh, dispense if, my wisdom after my father. Uh, if you... <laughs> If you don't feel like doing something, don't do it because, like, if it's something active, it's like show showing that you, you, you. If if you feel like you don't want to, you might get hurt easily. If you're doing something active and you don't feel like doing it, but you really want to do it, so yeah. you right. do it. <clears throat> Wait, okay. So I think I think mine would be that the world needs change. And so I, I would encourage you to be an activist. Um, look for ways that the world should be different in from how it is versus how you feel like it ought to be and and go be an activist and enact some change to make that so. Um, okay, but not if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, kind of on that topic, uh, what Addy just said, like learn to say no. If someone asks you if you want to do something and you don't want to, but like you feel guilty about not doing it, don't do it. You will have a more enjoyable time. So that's fine. Yeah. I feel like you're talking about me. No, I mean, no, me too. It's, it's helped me too. I'm like, yeah, it's helped, no, but, it's helped me in my yeah. life. So that's right. Thank you very much for joining me. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Yeah.
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Tipukana Otago. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every Monday, Wednesday and Friday afternoons at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Mother Mother. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I've been joined from Irvine in Southern California by Bill Tomlinson with Miles and Addie. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. Matiwa. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.